This is Questions of Courage, a podcast from the youth section at the Goetheanum, hosted by Nathaniel Williams. Welcome everyone to Questions of Courage. Today I'd like to start off by saying this series of contributions, Questions of Courage, is intended for young people today. And at the, in the kind of opening episode, I started to talk about big changes that were happening in the English-speaking world in the 1950s and 60s. And um, it seems so long ago, the 1960s and 70s, and I could imagine that many young people feel like, what is this, what is this? I mean, it perhaps resonated with them in some ways, and in other ways, if you're part of the rising generation or the millennials, uh, so-called millennials, names don't really matter in this case, but you might think, what does this have to do with me at all? And I think it's a very fair question. And I, I, I would like to point out that, you know, um, it may seem that it, in, in some ways it's long ago, but it, there's so much that started to appear powerfully then which I think is very much still present. But the thing is, is something very, another powerful, um, I don't know if we should just say development has uh, begun and I think has really only come into a kind of mature, widespread reality, maybe in the last 10 years with the widespread affordability of smartphones Um, which is the digital revolution. This has changed so much in a way that the tone and some of the uh, experiences, I think, of the young people that were coming of age in the 60s and 70s, your parents or grandparents, um, can feel so far away. Um, And, but it's, I think that this is uh, in part a kind of trick mirror, or it's like, it's not as it appears. It's not so far away and maybe not so foreign as we might think. And um, I just mentioned, you know, um, in, the, in the last episode that in a way, the new way of talking about human rights that was so transformed through a kind of new register of human encounter, a kind of a deeper register of human encounter where young people in the 50s and 60s were going to be integrated in the community as they came of age, going to churches, and they started to feel, this is like, I can't find the meaning that I feel like I need to find here. They felt like there was something empty, inauthentic in it. And and we see at this time, this uh, some of the things I spoke about last time, but I want to focus today on a a kind of explosion of interest in other cultures and other places and also in other times. And um, the Native American spirituality uh, was of particular interest to many in the United States, but also a kind of spiritual culture from India, from Japan. Um, And there were, of course, many more, but these were some of the most prominent kind of sparks of interest that young people found at that time because they were looking for a way of thinking and a way of talking that somehow could 
accommodate this new experience, this deeper experience that they were having. Um, Jacob Needleman uh, wrote a, a one sensitive book on this called The New Religions, if anyone's interested. We can see, like when I, now I'm speaking about this again, the 1960s, and you say, well, what does this have to do with today? But it has so much to do with today because, I mean, just think about the most recent blockbuster um, uh, Hollywood Marvel movie, The Black Panther or Wakanda Forever, the sequel. And it's based on a comic book that was written in the 1960s where there's a place called Wakanda. Wakanda is a word that is taken from Native American spirituality, um, a particular group of Native American, uh, um, Native Americans, um, and having to do with a kind of deep, mysterious, spiritual part of existence that carried existence, really. And, and, um, and then you look at the, the, the theme and the, the arc of this, and even if you look at these, these movies, you can see that um, the, there's this feeling that through the initiation rites that are portrayed there, that individuals have to find their way to the spirit. And it's depicted in a kind of uh, psychoactive substance, a plant. There's, if you know the movie, you'll know what I'm speaking about. But the plot line is a kind of deeper search for um, spiritual meaning and connecting it with one's destiny. And, uh, you know, this is okay, the popular culture version. But, but we have to see this, this is not just, I mean, with, with this new experience, this, what I'm just going to refer to in a very vague way is the new spirituality. You know, we can see, for instance, that commercial and political interests are trying to take advantage of it and to control it. Citizens United, the decision in 2010 I mentioned, is one example where corporation used this way of thinking in order to advance, I, I guess, to work against transparent democratic elections um, in the United States. Um, we also see, you know, when we look at Hollywood and also the, the Marvel universe, um, how it's certainly questionable, you know, despite all the meaning that young people find in these, how much it actually leads them towards what they're looking for. There's certainly a huge commercial backdrop of um, behind everything that happens in Hollywood. And, but I don't, those, those, those things, the negative parts of this are certainly well known and I'm, I'm not trying to avoid speaking about them, but I'd like to now look in a totally different direction, but that's connected. And that's to, this will be of interest particularly to young people who are studying right now, um, maybe studying um, at college or university, especially young people who are studying in social sciences or anthropology, political theory. Um, and it, it has to do with a book that was published last year from one of uh, the most, I think, influential and prestigious cultural anthropologists. Uh, 
in the field and 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 his name is Marshall Salins and he his book was called um, The New Science of the Enchanted Universe and Anthropology of Most of Humanity. So the new science of the enchanted universe. And this is a very dense read. And I'm not going to get into a kind of scholarly uh, uh, discourse here. I try to keep it quite accessible, though I hope in other episodes to really make contributions that will be of interest for young people that are really struggling with the reductionist, positivist uh, methodologies that they inevitably meet in the academy. But um, I would like to speak about this book because Salins is, was a, a, a member of this, a part of this, this kind of radical transformation in the 60s and 70s. And he himself went through a kind of transformation. And that transformation had to do with his inability to, to just continue to be condescending in the kind of Euro, European tradition towards the peoples that he was encountering and um, studying. And what do I mean by that? Well, in anthropology, for those of you who might not be so familiar with it, it has to do with, a cultural anthropology has to do with studying the um, cultures of the world. And of course, the ideal is to be true to these cultures and the, the people whose lives these cultures animate and who in turn enrich the culture they're a part of. Um, and Salins points out that one of the big obstacles in the tradition of anthropology that he was an eminent figure in is the condescension that came with the, the European um, training. He points out that um, anthropologists, when they would write about uh, Native American spirituality or um, practices or Australian Aboriginal culture or um, uh, the peoples of Papua New Guinea or that they would um, often use the term the natives believe and that they would also refer to their culture as kind of using the words like folk. They would say they have this folk medicine or this um, folk uh, music and um, and there was a slight undertone of a kind of condescension uh, when when they would be trying to understand these people and he pretty much points out in this book that we have come to a point where we can see that most cultures that don't take their tone from the European Enlightenment and the American colonies or other European colonies have what he calls an imminent experience of spirituality. And now imminent is a funny word. What does it mean? And what he means is that it's totally present, that it's not a 
it's not a belief like a metaphysics and that these people when they are their lives are filled with the experience of conversing with their ancestors or also with spirits in nature and they don't experience this as some personal faith question as opposed to the kind of sober experience of life. They experience that they are indeed living in a spiritual universe. And that's why he calls it the enchanted universe, a, a new science of, the new science of the enchanted universe. Yes, and he also points out that if you go back in European history, you go back before, say, the 12th century, uh, in, uh, or in, even in the high medieval times, before the scientific revolution, and Copernicus, and Galileo, and Kepler, and Giordano Bruno, and many of the individuals, Francis Bacon, who were so important for how we, and the role they played for how we speak and how we see the world today, you find that even in Europe, there was not a strict separation between spiritual agency and spiritual beings and an outer world that was spiritless. And if you go back even further to 800 years before the Common Era, you come into the mythological period, and there, he, he suggests that there actually human experience was full of imminent spirituality. And this shines a light on the European uh, tradition, uh, scientific tradition and culture that developed in Europe that um, perhaps some people in their hearts feel is at an end, also when they're fighting kind of colonization, not only the political um, levels of colonization, but also the perhaps more subtle and, and perhaps more meaningful uh, colonization of what one can speak about legitimately. And so there we, here we see that this this, this tenor of the 60s didn't just have an, a kind of popular folk lifestyle explosion and now has left its influence, but it's actually present now. And I think that what made, I, I want to suggest that Salins, his sensitivity for the condescension that he was meeting in his own research, in his own field, was possible also because of this deeper experience of the, a kind of imminent spirituality that started to emerge more and more powerfully through the last century. And because to argue about the spirituality of other people and oneself suddenly felt so, in a way, ridiculous because one felt the power of the spirit as something that maybe one had a difficult time grasping, yet something that in one's heart one knew one had to come to terms with. Um, he perhaps was able also to 
pursue anthropology in a different way than, than people before him. And he's not the only one, but in, I just can share a kind of significant person in such a short time that might be of interest to look at. So, this, of course, has been pointed out also within uh, the writings of such an articulate person as Owen Barfield, who was a close friend of C.S. Lewis, who many of you may love because of the children's book, the Narnia books that he wrote. He actually wrote those books, uh, C.S. Lewis, I think for the daughter of Owen Barfield. They were dedicated to her. And Owen Barfield, in his um, book Saving the Appearances, but also in his beautiful essays, uh, such as The Camera and the Harp, where he he, can, he kind of points out the ridiculousness of anthropological ways of talking about people in the past where we imagine that they were projecting their beliefs and their spiritual imaginations on a dead world. And, and we don't realize that we are ourselves, we feel like we're being objective when we speak about that, but actually that there are other kinds very radical different kinds of constitution, human constitution, that are present among different peoples, but also that one can sense were much more powerfully present even in Europe in the past. Another wonderful essay by him on this is called The Coming Trauma of Materialism. Um, for any of you who would like to to look up one of the perhaps least known inklings, the most famous inklings, of course, C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote The Lord of the Rings. But um, Owen Barfield, um, uh, uh, another amazing um, cultural influence for the English-speaking and greater world um, in his own right. Yes, so I think that, you know, in the last contribution I, I spoke about a poet, um, William Stafford, and some of the qualities that one experiences in his poetry, and, and one poem called A Ritual to Read to One Another begins with the lines, If you don't know the kind of person I am, and I don't know the kind of person you are, a pattern that others made may prevail in the world, and following the wrong God home, we may miss our star. And somehow, uh, this is just the first stanza of a beautiful poem, somehow in these four lines, this, one can feel the, the significance of this register of this kind of way of feeling how there's a deeper way to look at uh, one another and also to acknowledge and recognize one another and um, in danger of oversimplification somehow connected to what we mean when we speak about authenticity um, and that in this experience also there's potential for a new world and that can rewrite the patterns of life 
if we can only find each other. And if we don't find each other, then patterns that others may made may prevail in the world and following the wrong God home, we may miss our star. And this is a call, I think, to, to everyone who is um, young, all young people who are spiritually seeking today because I feel like it's particularly when you're young that you're also, I think you're aware of this in a very special way and you also can experience some of the dead and uh, stubborn patterns that you're coming up against. And so this is for uh, something particularly for young people, but also I would like to say particularly for young people in a young age, because I think there's more possible today um, than we might believe um, in uh, Europe, in the United States, but also all over the world, that something new is um, at hand. This isn't only for, for young people, but also for a young age.